where we've been thus far is this cosmic romance of marriage, of this beautiful picture of uh, our marriage as if, if you are married, our metaphors, our pictures that show, point to the true romance, the cosmic romance, which is Jesus pursuing and wooing and winning the heart of his bride for himself. And then our marriages get to show off that, display that, be a, a symbol, a mirror of what that is, that beauty. And, and last week, as we talked about husbands, we said that there's a cascading waterfall of love that from eternity past, the Father has loved the Son in the Spirit. And then when the Father sends the Son to woo and win his bride, the Son comes and he loves, cares for. Uh, he goes from being the beloved of the Father to the lover of the church. And then we said the, uh, uh, last week, husbands then do that. They become the beloved of Jesus. As he's the beloved then lover, then uh, uh, the husbands become the beloved of Jesus, then turn and become the lover of their wives. Like this is this cascading waterfall of love. This is this cosmic romance that we're caught up in. And so I want to lift your eyes, really, I want to lift uh, uh, the standard or maybe the value in your heart, in your mind of what marriage is because it is a beautiful, wonderful gift that we should see for what it is and treasure for what it is because it gets to show off the beauty, splendor, majesty, mercy, and grace of Jesus. Now, when you think about this, being the beloved and the lover I do want to come back to one thing that Jesus said. And one thing that Jesus told his disciples is that no longer will I call you servants, but friends. So to be very clear in, in marriage and in these relationships, uh, sorry, in marriage, this relationship in marriage, uh, there you are going to be lovers and friends. You're going to be friends and lovers, that there's this companionship, this relationship uh, that you're called into and pulled into, into marriage where you are a friend. And so not only do you love your spouse, not only you pour out for your spouse, but you actually cultivate deeply your friendship with your spouse because next to Jesus, they are your best friend in the cosmos. And so before we get more and more to Ephesians 5, that's where we're heading. I want to just think about friendship for a bit with us in regards to husbands and wives. And Tim Keller, with a extraordinary long quote, says this. There are two features of a real friendship, constancy and transparency. Friendship is only possible when there's a common vision and passion. What then is marriage for? It's for helping each other to become our future glory selves, the new creations that God will eventually make us. The common horizon husband and wife look toward is the throne and the holy, spotless, and blameless nature we will have. I can think of no more powerful common horizon than that. And that is why putting a Christian friendship at the heart of a marriage relationship can lift it to a level that no other vision for marriage approaches. 
It is to look at another person and to get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. Each spouse should see the great thing that Jesus is doing in the life of their mate through the word, the gospel. Each spouse then should give him or herself to be a vehicle for that work and envision the day that you will stand together before God, seeing each other presented in spotless beauty and glory. Yeah. Friends, this is where we're heading. Where you're heading in your marriage is the wedding supper of the Lamb where you'll be friends with your spouse forever and you'll worship Jesus and enjoy him as your groom forever. But I want to go back to that very first line and think about what he said, constancy and transparency. I can say it this way, keep opening up and keep showing up. Those are two features, features of friendship. If you want to build a friendship, if you want to grow in a friendship, if you want to keep uh, cultivating that friendship in your marriage, then keep showing up and keep opening up. Well, I'm going to get real practical, nitty-gritty, rubber, road, meeting uh, throughout this whole series. <laughs> uh, I love that most of my jokes hit about three people. No matter my references, I loved just that I hit three people each time. The three people in the room that like hip-hop, get those references. The three people that like weird jokes, get those references. Uh, where was I? Keep showing up and keep opening up. So open yourself up in confession and forgiveness. This is what friends do. Friends confess and repent to each other. Open up. Show up regularly. Friends create rhythms to be together. They do. They, they see it so valuable. They're going to create rhythms to get that time together because we need that, that constancy, that rhythm of being together, being around one another. Another one, open up. Keep opening. What? Open up your thoughts and your dreams and your fears and your desires. Open up those things. It's hard to know someone that will not just expose. That's what I mean by transparency, is being uh, 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 not hiding the thoughts or feelings, but being open up, opened up. This includes discussing major decisions together and waiting until you have unity before you move ahead. I mean, any decision that significantly affects your time or money or involves a major change for your family's life, home, work, or church should be made only after talking together about it, praying together, coming to a point of unity. So you get, but you've got to keep showing up and keep opening up about those things. You have to have those conversations. And then show up together. What I mean by that is you actually do things together. There, there's one uh, researcher that, that asked 30 families, uh, you know, why, why do you guys have a happy family? And, and it was, uh, <laughs> I can't even remember number, number one because it was so obvious. But number two was camping. It's like, oh, all these camp, why, they, why are they happy? Because they're camping. It's like, well, 
what I take from that research, if you know me, and my well-attested disdain for hiking is that we're not going to be happy. That's, that's what I'm choosing from a fan. We're not going to be happy if that is the requirement. I refuse. But that's not the requirement. The requirement is the big idea is do things together. Do things together. Whether it be suffer 16-degree weather in the West Texas Plains, or doing something fun as a family together. Do it. Do it together. Do it together. Oh. Enjoy something together. Talk together. Read together. Walk together. Share a hobby. Exercise. Play games together. This means there's got to be some give and take here, right, husbands and wives? This means there'll be things that you grew up not doing, not knowing about, not being aware of, and you get uh, Pandora's box open. There's this whole new world of all of his preferences and things he likes and the things he likes to do and the things he likes to watch and spend his time on. You're like, okay, this is, this is a thing. What, what is all this? What is all this? What, what, when we're moving, what are these pog cards? Why do I have to carry around pog cards in this box to get a, no, another three people? Boom, yes. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. But you just get to learn these new things. My, my, my point in saying this is to say, hey, you've got to open up yourself and move towards the other person in compassion to know them as friends, to do the things that they enjoy as friends so that you can be with them together as friends in that show up together. Now, if you don't want to have a friendship in your marriage, then lie to your spouse. I can give you some things to do. I can also give you very clearly things not to do. If you want to crush your friendship in your uh, uh, marriage, lie to your spouse. Deceive your spouse. Create a facade with your spouse. Have a, a secret part of your life or a secret garden where, where you just hide all your sin away from your spouse and it's just you and it just fosters and nasty gross growth. Growth well, nasty gross growth. That's how you can kill a friendship. And shame your spouse into changing. You can nag and hyper criticize your spouse into changing, but it will kill your friendship. Anger does not produce the righteousness of Christ, neither does shame and guilt. Wielding those as weapons to form your spouse into the image of Christ does not compute because those aren't the weapons the Spirit uses to form you into the image of Christ. Those aren't the tools. Those aren't the fashioning tools he uses. Love and grace are his tools. You want to kill a friendship and marriage? Make the person the problem. Be hypocritical. Always be talking about the speck in their eye, ignoring the two by four right here. Uh, start being okay with lying. Meaning you make some acceptable things like these broad universal statements which are lies. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. 
These are the ways that you can kill a friendship. You can strangle it. Bitterness, unforgiveness, sarcasm, assigning motive. Not asking about motive, but ascribing motive to that person based on the action that you heard of or observed, but you assign it. It's how you can kill friendship. What I'm trying to say is we are lovers and friends. And so let's be lovers as husband and wife, but also let's be friends to cultivate intentionally our friendship with our spouse. This companionship. Do you remember back to Genesis 2 two weeks ago? Is that it is not good for man to be alone. He, uh, she, humans need to be able to reflect the Trinitarian nature of God. And in this friendship, the gift of friendship, the good friendship in marriage is such a beautiful gift because we get community. Like our God is community. So we get to cultivate this. This is a gift to cultivate. It's also uh, a command. It's also a relationship to steward. Now, we're heading towards... Ephesians 5.33, I'm telling you that. We're getting there, okay? But before we get there, we've got to set up even some more context. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. All right. So ladies, wives, becoming a godly wife begins with being a daughter. Do you see Ephesians 5? Before we get to verse 33, before we just jump into, hey, let's talk about your role as a wife. We've got to start about your identity as a daughter. This is who you are, a beloved daughter of the father. This is who you are. This is who God has made you. You have a heavenly father who so completely and deeply loves you that he sent his son to rescue you and pull you and adopt you into his family forever. This is who you are. Now, it can be tempting to believe that that you're missing a big piece of your life if you're not married. That like if if you're just happiness and joy and real companionship is just one ceremony and ring away. But you must understand before you even get into marriage that this calling of wife is a big, beautiful, challenging, difficult, selfless, peaceful, glorious calling. And your identity can't be in what you do or the role you fulfill, but who you are objectively before the Father, and that's you are a loved daughter. And if we keep pushing this, can I also say, you're not only beloved by the Father as a daughter, you're also truly, gently, tenderly, ferociously loved by Jesus, your true husband, because you are part of the bride, the church. So you're doubly loved by the Father in the Spirit, by the Son as your groom. This is who you are. I want to call attention to that because that is what gives you the power, the hope, and the possibility of what follows in the verses 
through the rest of Ephesians 5. You've got to start with that we are beloved daughters, wives. You are beloved daughters. And you are righteous before the Father. That Jesus has not only loved you and is loving you, he's also gifted you his righteousness. And you're forgiven and declared righteous before the Father. That's both verses. So then you live out of that identity, not for it. It gets real wonky when your role as wife gets connected or conflated with your role as daughter, and it begins to, in our minds and in function, we start operating as I have to do really well as a wife so that God will like me, love me, still smile at me. But who you are, before we get to the role, before we get to the covenant, before we get to marriage, is you are beloved. We need to know who our God is. We need to know who we are. We need to know who the spou- our spouses are. We need to understand who we are. And so we can keep each piece in its proper biblical place. It's a big deal because before we even get into marriage, we begin to think, okay, what, what cuts the legs out from under us so often? What, what crushes marriage and friendship and respect in marriage? So often for both of us, it's our insecurities. That we start with our identity in Christ because the biggest fight so often is our insecurities with ourselves, with God, with others, with our spouse, with God. Those that self-doubt, the questions sound like, does he like me? Will God keep loving me through all this? What about this ongoing rut of sin? If I fail, will he stop smiling at me? And then we have these insecurities with others. Do I look okay? Will I fit in? Will I annoy them? Will we become friends? Will they shun me? Should I even get into this relationship? I've been burned by so many in the past. And then with our spouse. Wives, I've asked a, a, a number of you this week leading up to this sermon. But those questions of Does he like me? Do I please him? Am I the one he dreamed of and longed for? Will he love me to the end? Will he cast me off? Am I safe with this man I married? Even if we go the distance, will he get tired of me? A loving husband will understand those insecurities and that they run deep and he will speak gently and tenderly over time for the long haul with grand patience saying, honey, you're the only one I want. I cherish and adore you. I rejoice in you as no other. I can't imagine the thought of living in this world without you. I imagine us growing old together, hand in hand in each scene. You have me. 
until the day I die, I'll spill my heart for you. A loving husband treasures and praises his wife. You see that word love in Ephesians 5.33. Why? Husbands, love breathes life into your wife. That love breathes life into her. That speaking tenderly, that kind, that coming alongside her in insecurities and not rushing her and say, hey, uh, have you not figured this out? I already told you once, so I got to tell you again. Know that you gently and with great patience speak to her tenderly over the long haul into the deepest part of her insecurities, the good news of Jesus and the good news of your, while it be not perfect, but your love for her. And watch her come to life. That's why he says to sum up, husbands are to love your wives, breathe life into her. Now let's get to verse 33. Ephesians 5, verse 33. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So again, for Paul, the practical demonstration of the gospel in our marriages comes down to love and respect. A Christian husband, fueled by the gospel, will love his wife. A uh, a Christian wife, fueled by the gospel, will respect her husband as her head. His love for her and her respect for him shows off the cosmic romance of Christ. Ephesians 5.33 urges wives to see that they respect their husbands. It's a command, not a suggestion to respect. Now, this is tough, right? But here, can we see this? Can we see in what I said last week in Ephesians 5 and this week in Ephesians 5 that both of us are trying to grow in this and move towards this and we have to be patient with both sides? Do you see that? Who, who in this room, who in this room, sounds like a challenge, uh, who in this room, husbands, was like loving your wife as Christ loved the church on day one? Some of you guys had that honeymoon uh, phase for three months, three years, 30, some of you guys. Some of us fought intensely on our honeymoon. Some of us did. Some of us. But who, who, who is just nailing it? No, we all are growing in this, right? Yes, we're all growing in this. This is where we're heading. We're all trying to grow in like uh, husbands. We're all trying to grow in loving our wives and, and wives. We're all trying to grow in respecting our husbands. We're all growing in this. I say that because respect should not be conditional based upon the amount of respectability we see coming from the man. tough, but even when he's not respectable, there should be a deference, a respect towards him in, in tone, in words, in attitudes, in actions. And this isn't fake respect. This isn't just putting on a show. This is true respect that springs out of a heart that rejoices in the grace that you've received from Jesus. Because 
in this, if it's difficult to respect your husband and his sin and his failures, <laughs> you'll see that your husband needs the grace of Jesus just like you need the grace of Jesus. Loving wives know their husbands need Jesus. The most respectful posture you can take as a wife is one of grace. The same grace offered to you in your time of need, that's the posture you have towards your husband. That's what we're talking about. And respecting your husband, I got real particular and loving wives last week, but respecting your husband, let me just tell you, includes your thoughts, your desires, and your actions. I say that because just because you have maybe a congenial, kind personality or exterior doesn't mean just because of that mean you're respectful. <laughs> you can be kind externally, but have some very disrespectful thoughts internally. I got one, okay. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Disrespectful thoughts. Like, I can't believe he made that stupid decision. I could have done better than that. How does he not know this at this point? I wish he was more like blank. It's easier and better when he's out of town. That's disrespectful thoughts. What about desires? That's gonna be it's gonna be no affection. Just have no affection for your husband. We'll get into it next week. Yeah, we're gonna celebrate the gift of sex on our five-year celebration. It just lined up that way. That's right. But just no affection. I, I told you jokingly, but also truthfully, that the greatest hit from the Old Testament was a song that was very long, Queen S. Long. The band Queen, thank you, I'm sorry. Very long song. All about sex and marriage and relationship and friendship in marriage. The Song of Songs. There's this joy in marriage. There's this delight. I don't know when, when we beat marriage into such a like technical, scientific fight over gender roles and like just being so uh, bored and intense about all of our definitions and details and descriptions. <laughs> because marriage is a delight. Like, that's what the gift is for. It's a delight. To make you more into the image of Jesus and for you to delight in your spouse and receive your spouse as a gift from Jesus, which makes you worship Jesus more. Do you see that? Like, this is a joy. So it could be no affection, no pursuit of uh, your husband, and I was saying song songs because you see that there. You see this joy, this delight, this friendship, this pursuit, this uh, uh, sexual appetite that's met in the gift of marriage. Another disrespectful desire would be desirous of someone else or desirous of something in an idolatrous way that distracts you from your spouse. Disrespectful actions that could be demeaning, harsh words, lack of prayer slandering, lack of help, 
And so think about, think about that. Think about respectful help. So we come back to that word help, right? Where help should have no idea of inferiority because Psalm 54, uh, uh, God uses the, the, the word help of himself. It's the Hebrew word ezer. It says that, behold, God is my helper. So helper aids, supports, protects, and comforts. This is how the Holy Spirit functions in our lives. So it's this beautiful thing, wives, that you're called into being beside us, near to our heart, arm around you, that you would help us in this adventure of following Jesus for the rest of our lives. That's where we're on this together. That's what it looks like to respectfully help, to come alongside and love and, and care for and to give wisdom, and to respectfully counsel, and respectfully disagree, right? I, th I think also when we start using uh, the S word, A-S word, submission, that we start getting into like, well, what does this mean? What means that your deference is towards your husband because he's loving you like Christ of the church, and you just say, hey, let's go, I'm in this with you. Let's go for this. Let's go. I respect and I, I'm listening, but I, 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 this does not mean by any case that you should not disagree with your husband, that you can't help provide wisdom, counsel your husband. What it does mean is that counseling would be respectful and disagreeing would be respectful. Come along and helping. Pray for your husband. Be ready to help when he asks for counsel. Kindly ask if he like your counsel. Your observations, your point of view, and primarily wisdom from Scripture is what he needs. You're a gift to him in that. Your disagreement is helpful. Your husband has massive blind spots. Your husband has sin that he's unaware of. Your husband, even in trying, even in pursuing, is still going to fail. There'll be things that you need to talk with, disagree uh, with, bring to the table, wrestle through. But that, that means if you're prone to fear a man or prone to arrogance, it's going to be very difficult for you to disagree. But you, you're going to, you're going to have to disagree respectfully, work through things. Respectfully help, respectfully submit. But I'll just tell you, when we get into submission, the gospel of freedom never creates an ethos of swagger and self-assertion, but the opposite. Through love, serve one another. Through love, Serve one another. That's what the gospel of freedom creates. That's the ethos. Not of, I'm rolling around looking who I can subjugate, who I can domineer, who I can put below me, who or I can use to get whatever I need accomplished. No. Love. Through love, serve one another. That's the ethos it creates. The ethos it creates is that we're all to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's 522. So the constant ethos, environment, the air that we breathe in this church should be a Christ-like readiness to submit. 
That is to adjust, to adapt to, to fit in, to help make work, to find the win-win-win outcome. Even if that's at a personal price, that's what it looks like to submit. That's the ethos, that's the culture. And so this respectful submission is the heart response of a godly woman who has entrusted herself to Christ and to her husband. That's why submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because bigger picture, you are submitting to Jesus. Now, what about if he's leading you to sin? No. What if this means what if you interpret this as I should stay even if he's abusive to me? No. No. This, I did a start here and talk about wives is to get things all kind of wonky. That's why we need to start with the father, the son, and the spirit. Then what does it look like for husbands? What are they called to? Love your wife. And then we get to this part. What does it look like, wives, in marriage? Submitting to your husband on earth flows from submitting to Jesus in heaven. Because before you're a wife, you're a daughter. And the submission for all of us is the joyful response to beloved sons and daughters. That's our response. Say, yes, Jesus. Whatever you call me to, I'll do it. Whatever you give me, I'll say you thank you for it. Like that's that, that, that attitude, that mindset of submission. Joyful response. Ray Ortland and Marriage and the Mystery of the Gospel says this, the opposite of a submissive spirit is an unsatisfiable demandingness, a fault-finding resistance, a tiresome fretfulness. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Husbands, your wife is a beloved daughter of the Father. She's the cherished wife of Jesus. She's your co-heir of grace, of the grace of life, 1 Peter 3 says. You're never to subjugate her, but to cherish and love her, to care for and cultivate her, to sacrificially lay down your life for her. If anyone is getting drained out in the marriage, it's you because you're laying down your life for her, not sucking the life out of her. Again, Ray Orland says, this delicate relational pattern of head with helper, the head, husband, taking responsibility and providing initiative. The helper supporting, encouraging, comforting. This is too beautiful to be regimented. There is no one-size-fits-all way to follow through. So that, that, that's why I can say respect your uh, 
husbands in, in these particular ways and helping and submitting and, and these. Why? Because that's what the Bible has revealed. But what the Bible has not revealed is a one-size-fits-all uh, system of this is exactly how it's going to look like in your marriage. And what it looks like in your marriage is what's going to look exactly like in your marriage. It's just not going to happen like that. So I can't give you like, hey, this is exactly how y'all are going to play out. This is, this is how you guys are going to uh, balance and work through and figure out how you're going to do the dishes and the stuff of the house and the things with the kids and all that stuff. Uh, I, I don't know. It's going to be different. But the pattern is this. Husbands, you're going to love your wife, and wives, you're going to respect your husband. And how it gets all fitted out and nuanced out in the, in the real life terms of Tuesday morning you guys are going to do that because you're going to be able to have healthy conversations about it because you love your wife and you respect your husband. We can actually wrestle through what does this look like moving forward? How is this going to play out? What's it going to come like down to some of these chores? What's it going to look like come down into to, to parenting? I don't know. We got to talk about that. But by and large, this is the pattern. This is the pattern. And husbands, I told you last week to love with your words, love with your uh, provision, love with your protection. And then wives, I'm going to tell you this morning to respect with your conduct. First Peter, again, 3 says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct your conduct to your husband your actions your words is a huge piece of what it looks like to respect him conduct that's a very big word that that's behavior that's overall action that's a way of life but this respectful conduct towards your husband and if he's not a christian may even win him god may use this your conduct to win him but this means not the demeaning harsh words you're actually going to encourage him with your words so ladies i talked about your insecurities earlier but can you consider maybe some of his Consider your husband's. And if I completely miss them, ask him about it afterwards. But maybe some of his insecurities as a husband. Am I man enough to meet the challenge God has called me to? Can I fulfill my destiny? Won't I end up failing? Is there any point in even trying? Some of these things are deep down in us. And a respectful wife will know that and spend her life speaking to her husband. Babe, I love you and I believe in you. I know you can follow through with what God has called you by his powerful grace. The king of glory is with you and, and so am I. So let's go. Let's do this. Wives, respect breathes life into your husband. This is the point of Ephesians 5.33. To sum up. It's not to do the not to do this arbitrarily, to know that to love your wife breathes life into her, to respect your husband breathes life into him. Babe, I love you. I'm in this with you. 
Let's go. Let's pray about this. Let's consider. Let's talk. But I trust that God is working in you. And I can see the man he's uh, 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 forming you into. I can track evidences of God's grace to you through the years of this is where you were, this is how he grew you, this is where you're at now, and I think this is where he's taking you, and I can see this is where we're heading. Glory, radiant, magnificent splendor with Jesus forever together. That's where we'll be heading. This big calling of wife is only possible by the grace of Jesus that has called you to it. This is one of those things that you should feel, and last week, uh, husbands, you should have felt like this is, this is heavy. It's big. It's a big calling. It feels a bit overwhelming. There's too much here. Won't this take my entire life? Yes, it will. But by God's grace, he will empower you to what he's called you to. Because you are bountifully loved by your father and loved by your husband, Jesus. Wives, you can respect your husband. Breathe life into him encourages him, keeps him going. We're in this together. You're in this together. And we're in this together. Because be very clear, if you're, if you're not a Christian or if you're not married, This does not mean that there is a second-rate life for you in the kingdom or that you cannot experience the joy of being with Jesus and in his family. You might feel alone, you might be alone, but you're truly not alone. Because to be saved by Jesus is to be pulled into relationship with him and to be saved to a family. The bride of Christ, the church, is the big answer to it is not good for man to be alone. And it ends with the dwelling place of man is with God us together, with him together. That's where we're heading. Then we have a lot of hope and joy and energy <laughs> from now until we die to keep loving and keep respecting all to the glory of God. Father, we pray for this. We ask you to do this in us. We ask for help in us. We ask for your spirit to convict us. We ask for uh, you to change our thinking, to call us to repentance and, and maybe disrespectful thoughts or actions or desires. But Lord, I, I pray that you would just lift our eyes to this big picture, this 
cosmic picture of romance, of Jesus and your bride, and how we're all caught up in that, and then how that also helps, gives us direction, instruction, and clarity on what it looks like for us to love and to serve and to help and live as a family and in our families. Lord, I ask for you to breathe life into us. Breathe life into our weary souls. Breathe life into our husbands and wives. Breathe life into our marriages. Breathe life into our church. Resurrection. Holy Spirit power. that we might keep showing up and opening up with one another, with our spouses, with our friends, with you, Lord, we need you. And we humbly confess we need one another. And we ask all this in Christ's name, amen.